0: Our scripture this morning is from the book of John verse 19 through 31 when it was evening on that day the first day of the week and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews Jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you after he said this he showed them his hands and his side Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these were written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, and that through believing you may have your life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Be
1: to God. I invite you to pray with me. Blessed are you, God, giver of all that is good and true and beautiful. May our hearts and minds be one with your spirit and one with each other. Amen. On this second Sunday of Easter, uh, we have this story um, about Thomas that we've heard read by Chris. And uh, I understand I've gotten to know uh, a little brief explanation of how y'all kind of plan in seasons, which I think is remarkable and innovative and um, really wonderful. And there's also this um, Christian calendar that we kind of have going on at the same time. And there's also uh, the lectionary, which you may be familiar with, a three-year cycle of scriptures to be used um, in um, Sunday morning worship. And in all of these different things, no matter what we're kind of going with, uh, we get to focus on different aspects of faith, different aspects of Christ's life, different aspects of our own lives and what's going on in the world, different pieces of scripture different stories, different books, different letters, different characters, different themes. But every Sunday after Easter, if you're following the lectionary, it is always the same text. It is always this story every single year. And it's the story of Thomas, and it's found only in this gospel account from John. Thomas is mentioned in the other gospel accounts, but just once as one of the disciples. He gets a a little bit more of a role in John's gospel account. And first to say a little bit more about John's gospel account, um, if you ever read or hear from, from John, uh, you almost can't believe him because he's always saying something else with what he's saying. And what I mean is there's this aspect um, of dualism, or at least there's multiple layers. There's uh, night and day, which don't always mean the actual physical nighttime and daytime. There's light and dark, which might not refer to uh, sunlight and, and darkness, sight and blindness might all, not always refer to physically being able to see or being blind, but might have to do with who can see Jesus, as we just sung about, as we talk about trust, and who can't see Jesus, water, and yet this living water that quenches our thirst forever, life, physical life, but also life abundant, that is something like resurrection, something new something full, something that we can't really imagine, but we hope for. And then there's Thomas, who's known as the twin. And he maybe has a twin in real life, I don't know. Um, but it might be the case that uh, there's another twin that's not necessarily Thomas's sibling. The other disciples, uh, on that Easter night... Now, they were gathered, of course, we should pay attention, at night on that first Easter, um, which says something about being concealed in darkness. They're not being light, and they're hiding for fear. And uh, Jesus still appears to them, even though they're behind locked doors, and says, peace be with you, and shows them his wounds. But Thomas, for some reason, isn't with them, whether because he's not Concealed and hidden away. Maybe he's out and not afraid, or maybe he's afraid and at home, but in some for some reason he's separated from his community of these disciples who follow Jesus and he's not there. And then later the disciples are with Thomas and they tell him, We saw Jesus. And he says, Well, I'm not gonna believe you unless unless I see for myself, just like the disciples got to see. Not an unreasonable thing to say or to expect. Thomas wants what everyone else got. So then the next Sunday they're gathered again at night and Jesus appears to them. Luckily for Thomas, he's there this time and Jesus offers himself to him and shows him his wounds and offers for Thomas to come and touch and feel. We don't know if Thomas took him up on the offer but he responds, my Lord and my God. John's writing to a Christian community sometime in the late first century, maybe sometime in the 90s, the original 90s, right? And um, it might be the case, as scholars have tried to figure out, uh, that this community um, of Christians was part of a broader Jewish community. They were all Jewish still at the time. Jesus was Jewish. Um, But that there was some conflict, there was some separation from them. That might have been that some synagogue leaders were had a little power trip and high on authority and caused some conflict and now this community has been separated, isolated from their broader community and they're feeling maybe a bit like Thomas, uh, separated and alone. And this text has often, in its worst scenario, has been used, I think, sometimes to shame or to judge people who don't believe or who, who might have doubts or who... Are unsure of things. But John writes to this community who has been separated and who isn't with everyone else, much like Thomas, who wasn't with the disciples and didn't get to see Jesus, and says to them, Blessed are you who have not seen Christ and yet have come to believe. It might be that this community that John's writing to is Thomas's twin, in a sense. They get to be invited into the story as Thomas's twin, as one of Jesus' disciples. And so it's not too much of a stretch to imagine then that perhaps we too are Thomas's twin and that we can hear the words, Blessed are you who have not seen Christ and yet have come to believe. It's not a judgment or to shame you if you don't believe because you haven't seen. But yet, blessed are you. Christ is with you. Thomas wanted to see Jesus like the other disciples. I I, I would like to as well. Um, I want to say one other thing about John and some definitions when he talks about life. Um, I mentioned before talking about life and having abundant life. In John 10.10, Jesus talks about uh, the thief has come to kill and to steal, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have abundantly. So there's something about resurrection, there's something about the life that Jesus offers that is more than just a physical life. In Greek, there are multiple words for life. We think of biology or um, psychology. Both these have roots in Greek words for life. But John uses a different word for life, zoe, which we have the name Zoe from. And this is not just biological life. It is something like abundant life something like resurrection, something new that we don't fully yet have, but can be with us even here and now. There is uh, an author, Henry Nouwen, who has a text called The Wounded Healer. Perhaps you've heard of Henry Nouwen, he's kind of a popular uh, Christian writer who passed in in the mid-90s. He uh, was a Dutch Catholic priest and theologian. And his text, The Wounded Healer, uh, has the subtitle, In Our Own Woundedness, We Can Become a Source of Life for Others. It's a sort of pastoral care book for pastors in training, for seminarians, for divinity school students um, that's based on the work of the psychologist, psychoanalyst, psychiatrist Carl Jung, who is from the 19th century into the 20th century. And he coined the phrase, The Wounded Healer, and it's used in psychology and even medicine, but Henry Nowen kind of popularized it as a theological phrase, too. And in his book, he has a case study, sort of, um, an encounter with this young chaplain uh, in training, which I, I can relate to, and he has a visit with a patient, Mr. Harrison, as, as he's called in the book. And he visits Mr. Harrison, who's going in for a surgery and who um, uh, is not sure if he's going to make it. And um, is feeling quite alone and lonely in his life. In his mid to late 40s, he's young and uh, has a risky surgery, and doesn't really have anyone waiting for him on the other side. And uh, this young chaplain kind of stumbles through the visit. It's not so bad, but as now and kind of alludes to it, it could have been better. Um, but but could it have been right? Was there anything that was would have been the right way to do it? Maybe not. But he, he kind of uses this as a way to talk about uh, what it can be, what it can look like to be someone who has wounds and to tend to others' wounds and to meet them there. Now and says, thinking about martyrdom, martyrdom as this way of, of, of giving of ourselves for another. Thinking about martyrdom can be an escape unless we realize that real martyrdom means a witness that starts with the unwillingness to cry with those who cry, laugh with those who laugh, and to make one's own painful and joyful experiences available as sources of clarification and understanding. He goes on to say, who can take away suffering without entering into it? It's quite a call. I've gotten to experience a lot of what and writes about in my own work in the last eight months. Part of our work is to be with Patients and families and staff members in the hospital as they experience crises, as they experience emotional distress, spiritual distress, as they have relational conflicts, as they're trying to figure out goals of care. We get to participate in all kinds of conversations. Some of us chaplains are Christians, others are not. The patients we serve, many of them are, but not all are. And we enter into these spaces. But the other part of our work um, and our training is a lot of introspection and reflection an evaluation and adjustment, not only of the work that we're doing, but of ourselves. We have to understand who we are and where we come from, where we come from culturally, we come from different parts of the country, where we come from societally, from our families, from uh, the faith traditions that we come from. And some of us maybe have changed, uh, maybe not faith traditions as a whole, but maybe denominations and have been transplanted and Our theology has changed, and we have experiences, and we have values, and we have wounds. And we take the long, slow work of looking at each of those and understanding them, understanding ourselves, understanding one another, seeing ourselves in one another, seeing differences, and figuring out what to do from there. And we celebrate the good things as well. It's not all... uh, gloom and we try to grow in the areas we can grow and we we seek healing for where those wounds are and for everything else we try to radically accept who we are and who others are without judgment so that when we go into a patient's room and see them in the worst moments of life not maybe just because of the physical health that they're in but because of all that else comes up people come into the hospital in the midst of suffering not to do with their physical health, but to do with a family situation, a job situation, being lonely and isolated like Mr. Harrison from Nowen's text, all kinds of situations. And we have to enter into those rooms and not judge these people and care for them. And not to also be confronted with an overwhelming situation and then be caught up in what what I'm feeling and what I want to deal with in my own life. And so we, in, we witness and enter, enter into other suffering non-judgmentally, compassionately, and em, empathetically or empathically offering ourselves to others because Christ has entered into our suffering and has offered himself, experiencing the suffering of human life and offering healing along the way And we're still a work in progress, but we have a hope to hold on to in the resurrection. The good news is this very story, Jesus' incarnation, his becoming human, his very uh, nature of being God and the very nature of being human, and living a human life and experiencing all that comes with it, and having a ministry of teaching and healing and caring for people, and entering into his passion and his suffering and his death and being resurrected, and and separation and isolation and pain and suffering and oppression and injustice. Wherever you might find yourself, God is with you. God enters into your suffering and bears the same wounds and gives hope for unity and a new life. And so then we might be able to say with Thomas, my Lord and my God, which is the most uh, emphatic declaration of who Jesus is in all of John's gospel account. He says, my Lord, meaning at the time, not Caesar, not these other rulers, not what's around me, maybe not these other things that I could worship, but you, Jesus. And my God, this very human who is with me and is suffering, who, which is not something God is supposed to do, but... You are God in the flesh and with us. Thomas sees Jesus for exactly who he is. Which is something more than just my Lord and my God. He sees him with something else. And what is it that Thomas wanted to see like the other disciples? How would he identify Jesus when Jesus came to see him? It wasn't going to be by Jesus' majesty or power or by the throne that he would have as king, or by his miracles and healings. Maybe those would all help understand who Jesus is, but Thomas identified Jesus by his marks of suffering. He identifies Jesus by his wounds. Jesus can take away suffering because he entered into it. Thomas and the disciples may have come to believe because they saw Jesus, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. I had a professor in seminary who uh, tells a story. Um, He was a pastoral care professor, so he's training people for ministry, and um, uh, he tells a story that was uh, uh, an important moment in his life. And I'll qualify the story up front. He does it at the end but I'll do it up front. Uh, he tells a story as a, um, an example of potentially uh, crossing a boundary in ministry in order to care for another. And this happened, well, I don't know, maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago for him when he was a teenager in what might have been a taboo situation. And I'll explain, but in today's context, we have a lot more concerns with safety and um, appropriate relationships and boundaries for good reason Um, And in this case, it might not seem like that'd be appropriate, but as he tells it, it was. um, He was a teenager in high school and uh, had been in the church and was in church one Sunday morning. uh, And he had really bad acne on his back, so much so that it was really painful for him even to wear just a shirt on his back. And as he's at church one Sunday morning, his pastor comes by, during coffee hour, to to say hi, and pats him on the back, and he flinches at the pain. But he doesn't say anything, and he never told anyone about his acne, and his pastor didn't seem to give away that he noticed that, but said hi, and they made conversation and moved on. Well, later that week, the pastor invites him to come to the church, and so he does, and they go to the sanctuary, and they sit down, just the two of them, and talk. And they're alone, and this is where it's maybe he starts to feel like we wouldn't do this, but it was all all above board. But the pastor, as he's talking with my professor as a teenager, says, you can show me if you would like. The professor goes on to tell us that he takes off his shirt and shows his pastor this acne on his back that he's never shown, let alone told anyone about, ever before in his life and that he felt seen and understood, and that someone entered into his suffering to some degree, maybe not to be able to understand it in his own body, but entered into it with him. Decades later, from when I've been from California to New Jersey to here, the same professor, uh, I stumble across his books in, in all kinds of different contexts. I think it's safe to say that he's become a wounded healer. He experienced healing, hopefully, that day, if not from his acne, but from shame, potential judgment, emotional pain. I think it makes me wonder, and maybe the same is true for you, the question, do you have any wounds? Or maybe the question should be rephrased, what are your wounds. Speaking for myself, it seems that we all have them. and I don't know what yours might be or what stage they're in. You might have wounds that are deep and scabbed over, maybe with an underlying infection, and you're just not willing to go there because it would be too painful to address. You might have beautifully scarred marks of suffering that are waiting to tell a story to anyone who would be willing to listen. You might have wounds that are open and tender and needing to be healed, but they're still very fresh. Some wounds could be uh, in various stages. You might have multiple wounds at once in various stages. And some wounds, to be sure, are only for God to know. Some do not need to be shared with others. and That's okay. And to be sure, our wounds do not define us. But they are part of our identity. And so perhaps, like me, you need an encounter with the risen Christ and need your wounds to be healed. Perhaps you have wounds that you can share with others and show them. And perhaps... Healed of your own wounds, you can enter into and experience others' wounds. God entered into our suffering and suffered to the fullest fullest extent death. And as Noun would even suggest, perhaps even worse is loneliness or isolation or abandonment. It does cruel things to humans to be alone. But this the solidarity that we see in God, lived out in Jesus Christ, this, this empathy, this unity is love embodied. And in death, and then through death and somehow beyond death, God is with us, healing us. And this is hope and love in full, embodied and resurrected. And so, we can rise up and leave our tombs because we have been resurrected with the wounded healer himself, for Christ entered into our suffering and bears the same wounds that we bear. And through the Spirit, we remain not in isolation, but united with Christ and with one another. And in time, maybe already for you and maybe not yet, our wounds can be healed And we can go to those whose wounds are still open and tender and unhealed and enter into their suffering and offer our very selves with our own marks of suffering. Bearing the suffering of those in need of healing and bearing witness to the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of ourselves, and hopefully the eventual resurrection of those experiencing death in whatever form that may be. Amen.